Some of you might be a little bit new to Bible study. Some of you aren't sure about the whole, you know, how does the Bible work? So let me give you a 30,000 foot view just really quickly. The Bible, different than most books, is not written, this is not chronological. You should know that, that the first five books of the Bible are the Pentateuch or the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those are the law. If you were Jewish, that would be your Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so that's kind of, it's not, uh, a better way to think of the Old Testament is uh, categories, not as it happened. So you've got the first five books of the Bible, they're the law, the Pentateuch, kind of gives God's instructions the creation story is in there. And then they go to the history books, which gives us a lot of history, the nation of Israel. And then it goes to the wisdom books, which is like Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. And then it goes to the prophets and there's first the major prophets and then there's the minor prophets. And it's not because one is more important than the other. The major prophets are just long. The minor prophets are short. That's the only reason they're major and minor. Nehemiah is part of the historical part of the Bible. Its category is history. And so where we're gonna look at today, about 140 years prior to our story today, Babylon came into Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah. Babylon came in, it tore down the walls, it kidnapped all of the people, a bunch of people died, and they were taken away as exiles to Babylon 140 years prior. After some things happened and years go by, the king of Babylon allowed, decades later, not just you know a couple weeks, allowed some of them to go back to Jerusalem and they started to live there. In Nehemiah, you'll hear the word a lot of times, the remnant, the remnant. And that's people that were in captivity in Babylon and then went back to Jerusalem. And there was a guy named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, number one, is not a great name for your kids. If you're thinking about having children, I would avoid that one, maybe. That's just a pro tip for me. That's for free today. He goes back, and he helps to rebuild the temple, the place of worship. It's very important to them. And then Ezra, which is right before Nehemiah, if you have an Old Testament Bible, Ezra is right before Nehemiah. He goes and helps to kind of reinstitute the law, reinstitute how people should worship. Some of you are familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. That happened while the Jewish people were in Babylon. Some of you are familiar with the story of Esther and the queen and all that crazy, wonderful, amazing, sometimes head-scratching story of Esther. If you were to read Ezra, Right before Nehemiah, between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7, there's a gap of time, and that's where the story of Esther comes in. You can get a Bible, actually, that is chronological, the way that you can read it. It's fascinating. But we're 140 years after the Israelite people have been taken into Babylon, and we're introduced to our friend Nehemiah. And he's going to help us to understand how do I live a life that is pointed in the direction of rebuilding things that are broken? How do I go back and say there's some areas of my life that aren't where God wants them to be? How can I get some processes in my life to get to where God eventually wants me to be? Nehemiah chapter 1, five things this morning. Hope that it'll be helpful for you. Nehemiah chapter 1, you can follow along here on the screen or in a printed Bible or on your phone, whatever's convenient for you. The words of Nehemiah son of Hakali, 
in the month of Kislev, that's November, December, just in our calendars. November, December is kind of where we're thinking there. So it's in the winter. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, an actual brother, not just a, a person that we, hey, there's my brother, like an actual blood brother. Uh, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah. That's the, the nation. Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. So he had come back to Babylon to interact with his brother, just so we're historical, we understand what's happening, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant, there's our word, that had survived the exile, had, went to, had been in Babylon, went back to Jerusalem, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So if you're going to want to rebuild your life, number one, you've got to know the problem and face it. Not just know the problem, because a lot of people know the problem, but we don't want to face the problem. We know that there is some issues in my life, but we just don't really want to kind of look it dead in the eye and say, this is a problem. Nehemiah, again, 140 years had been by that the walls had been broken down. This was not a new event that had happened. For 140 years, people walked by the broken walls. They walked by these burned city gates. It was a problem, but nobody was willing to face it. In our life, there's, there's things that we know, right? That's a problem. But we just kind of get so busy with our life. And we say things like, I should really do something about that. Oh, I really should work on that. And somebody talks about uh, an improvement that they've made in their life. You, you agree with them. Yes, I really should do that. But then for whatever reason, we just kind of ignore it. And some of it is because maybe, I don't know why in this moment did they bring up that the wall had been broken and the gate had been burned. Maybe had, a, had an enemy just come in and attacked them. We don't, we don't know for sure. But for some reason, that came to the forefront of their mind, and that'll happen to you sometimes as well. This problem that you have, this area of your life, all of a sudden it's been something that you've been kind of ignoring, 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 and then if we're not careful, we'll get into this crisis mode, and it's just right in front of us. If we're going to rebuild our life, I've got to know the problem, and I've got I've to face it. I've got to quit pretending, oh, that's not that big of a deal, Oh, that's probably okay. Oh, that's not really hurting me. We've got to recognize, man, there's, there's some brokenness. The, the wall was broken down. No more, in other words, in 2024, what would it be like if we just said, man, no more half measures. No more half measures. I'm not just gonna kind of just make little tweaks and I'm not gonna just kind of do little tiny things to maybe soften the problem. No more half measures. I'm gonna know the problem and I'm gonna face it. The great theologian Swift said, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Somebody, somebody needs to know that in 2024. Some of us are the problem. We're the problem, it's, it's not, we, we like to blame other people and other things and what's going on in my life, well this is the card, well come on, I'm the problem sometimes, most of the time. It's, it's this guy, I'm the problem, I've gotta 
face a problem and not just say, yeah, that is a problem, but I'm just gonna go on with my life. Yeah, that is a problem, but I'm just gonna try to hopefully keep it kind of in the background and maybe it won't come back to bite me too bad. No, I've gotta know the problem and I've gotta face it. He continues verse number five and he says this. Then I said, Lord, he know the problem, he faced it. I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Pause right there. Not only do we have to know the problem and face it, we've got to know who God is. Know who God is and trust him. Let me ask you this question. How do your prayers sound? Like when you pray, and I don't know if you're a person of regular prayer or, or not, but when you do pray, what do those prayers sound like? For many of us, maybe I'd say most of us, our prayers are a laundry list of things that we need God to do for us. God, this isn't working, and God, I need this, and here's this problem I'm facing, and can you help me with this? And those are good prayers to pray, but if we pray the way that Jesus invites us to pray, and if we pray the pattern that Nehemiah prays, he, he says, God, before I, the, the walls are broken down, the city gates are, are, are burned, I know the problem, I'm facing it, but before I give you the laundry list of all the things that I need, God, let me just remind myself of who you are. I know who God is, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust him. Jesus would say it this way, here's how then you should pray. Our Father, before we get into the, the laundry list of I want and I need and can you help, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I, I've got to put in my mind, yes, I've got these problems and I'm facing them, but I'm then going to rotate my eyes to seeing, well, God is bigger than it. This thing that seems so overwhelming to me and seems so enormous and how am I going to get there? man, God, you are great, and you're wonderful, and you're marvelous. How great are your works to me? I remember who God is, and knowing who God is helps me to trust him instead of being so focused on my problem. Because here's what some of us do, right? We know the problem, we face it, but then we just stay focused on the problem, and we get really stressed out, and we get overwhelmed. I got the problem, I got the problem, I got the problem. How am I gonna fix the problem? What are we gonna do about the problem? How are we ever gonna get through the problem? It's just the problem. And the problem becomes overwhelming. And that's what would have happened to Nehemiah. But he said, okay, I, I know the problem. I'm gonna face the problem, but who's with me in the problem? Well, I've got a great and awesome God. The psalmist said in Psalm 113, out of the message version, God is higher than anything. Isn't that good news for us in 2024? And God's higher than anything and anyone. Even your boss, even your ex, even your in-law. Man, God is higher. Even the, the guy that's knocking and saying, you owe me money. Oh, God's bigger than it. Outshining everything that you can see in the skies. Who can compare with God, our God, so majestically enthroned? And so I know the problem and then I face it and then I know who God is. That God, Man, God's way bigger than me. God's who's been faithful through the ages. God, man, who can do things that I can't do, who's got it when I can't get it. God who meets me when I'm overwhelmed. I know the problem, but then I also know my God. And when I know God, all of a sudden I recognize, man, you give me strength to face what I have been facing. Abraham Lincoln, the quote is attributed to him. He said this, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction 
I just had nowhere else to go. And what a great way for us to live. To recognize that, man, when I see the problems in my life and they seem so overwhelming, instead of trying to work it myself and then try to manipulate and try to figure it out and try to, my first thing is I'm going to my knees. Before he did anything else, God, this is who you are. Before he asked anything, before he said, God, would you please help me? God, I, I want to remember because my life is so chaotic, I can, I can forget that God is bigger than it. And my eyes get so focused on the problem that I forget that I've got a God who's with me. We continue the rest of verse number six. He says, then he goes on. He continues his prayer. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. How do you rebuild a life? Well, you know who God, you know the problem and you face it. You know who God is and you trust him. And then, and this is the part that we kind of, I don't know about this, but I know who I am and I, can, I confess it. That we have, let's be honest, we have acted wickedly. We have chosen to do the wrong thing when we know what the right thing to do is. For many of us, let's be honest, the reason that my life is in chaos is because of my sin. I, I, I would rather blame somebody else. I'd rather say it's their fault and if they would have done and they didn't hold up the end of the bargain, but let's, I mean, I, Nehemiah, he looked inward and he said, it, this is an us thing. I, I, I can recognize that I'm not righteous in this. I, we've acted wickedly. We haven't obeyed. We, we have sinned. And sometimes, we have to be honest, the chaos of my life is brought on. Kayla, can you go to that next slide for me? Sometimes the chaos of our life is brought on by the sin in my life. And again, it's uncomfortable because I'd rather blame somebody. The reason that I'm this way is because of them, and they did this to me, and so it's, it, it's their, no. Hi, it's me, I'm the problem, I've acted wickedly. And I, we have to go, if we're gonna rebuild a broken life, if we're gonna start putting the pieces back together, I've gotta go beyond, yeah, I really should do better. Yeah, I should really work on that. No, we, we do what Nehemiah did, and we remember who God is and we trust him, and then I remember, man, this is who I am. And I confess it. It's I'm more than a mistaker. I'm more than just, oh, I kind of messed it up. No, I am. I'm a sinner. And I need to repent. I, I need to, I, the, I, I face the problem. Part of the problem is me. I know who God is and he's bigger than it. But there are some things in my life, some things that I've gotten involved in, some things that I've done or haven't done and I've got to repent. Paul would say it this way. Man, there is no one, yours, yours truly included, there's no one that's righteous. There, there's no one, not even, not even one. Martin Luther, the great theologian, the bringer of so many wonderful theological points, he said it this way. The only thing that we bring to Christianity is the sin that makes it necessary. That's the only thing we bring is the sin that makes it necessary. Is that I am, let me just, let me get front in line. I get to have a microphone, I get to stand on stage, and let me just confess, I am a sinner. 
I'm not righteous. I don't have it all right all the time. I don't even have it all right every day because my heart is so full of selfishness and sin and gross. And so, God, the problem is, is my sin is causing chaos in my life. And I need to do more than just, I'm gonna try to do better. Now I've gotta confess, God, you've called me to something better. You've called me to something higher. And I haven't lived up to your standard. I haven't lived up to what you've called me to do. And the reason that parts of my life, it's not all of it, but for the reason that parts of my life are chaos and parts of my life have left shrapnel in their wake and parts of my life has wounded people that I love is because I am a sinner. I have done what the Israelites did. I, I confess wickedness. I confess, I haven't obeyed the commands and the decrees and the laws that you gave. And the, the, the challenge is, is that we have to know who we're comparing ourselves to. Because the, the temptation, if we don't start with how good God is, then my standard is kind of me. And my standard is the people that are around me. If I just start with, well, how am I doing in relation to the other people? Well, I win that race because I'm, I behave better than some people, and so do you. And, and, and you act better than some people. And you are able, if it was a race between this person here and, and you, you win. But when I know who God is and I trust him, I also am aware of his righteousness and his holiness and that he's the standard, not me. He's the standard, not my neighbor. He's the standard, not the people that I work with. His righteousness is a standard. And so when I see him for who he is, I see me as I am and I realize I am a sinner in need of a savior. And the greatest lie that the devil has ever whispered into the lives of people is you're, you're fine on your own. You've got this on your own. You're good enough, and when you weigh the scales of your life, good versus bad, you've done more good, and so you're fine. That's not the standard. The standard is not, did I do more good, and did I help more ladies across the street, and was I nice to my friends? And That's not the standard. The standard is, how am I against the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the Messiah? Well, if that's the standard, then I'm pretty far down. And so in his mercy, God initiates, while we were yet sinners, Paul said, Christ died for us. That he made a way where there wasn't a way in our own. But we've got to first recognize, I don't got this. I cannot get there on my own. I am a sinner and I need a savior. I know the problem and I face it. I know who God is and I trust him. I know who I am and I confess it. We go into verse number eight of Nehemiah. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, hey, that's us. I will scatter you among the nations. So the deal, pause just right there. The deal with the Israelites and the Mosaic, which was Moses, the, the law of Moses before Jesus came, it was kind of a, if you do, then I will type of thing. If you obey the laws, if you obey the commands, then I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna be a shield around you, nobody's gonna be able to bother you, but if you go your own way and you start to worship idols and you start to live your own life, my hand of kind of blessing and covering lifts up off of you and other people are going to invade you. That's what Nehemiah is saying. The law of Moses was, if you are unfaithful, why, why for 140 years had the Israelites been in Babylon? Is because they had, what Nehemiah is saying, 
they had been unfaithful. They hadn't held up to their end of the bargain. And so God lifted his hand up off of them. Babylonians came in and took them into a faraway land. Goes on. But he doesn't leave us there. How good is he? If you return to me and obey my commands, I'll give you a second chance, and I'll give you a third chance, and I'll give you a 15th chance, and I'll give you a 51st chance. I'm, I'm not leaving you on your own. Yes, I'll lift my hand up and people will come in, but it's in an effort to help you to remember, man, I need to be keeping God as my focus. And all through the Old Testament, if you read those historical books of the Old Testament, here's the, here's the pattern. I believe God, I trust God, I follow God, and then I believe me, and I trust me, and I follow me. And it's just this back and forth, back and forth. And when they trust God, God's hand of blessing is on them, and God's hand of protection is on them, but then he lifts his hand off of them because they started, I've got this on my own. And so people come and invade, and they're taken away as captive, or bad things happen, and they repent, and they say, God, we need you, we shouldn't have done that. God restores them, and it's just back and forth, back and forth. That's kind of what Nehemiah is talking about Right here. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even then, if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. I'm not giving up on you, in other words. Try as you might. I'm not going to abandon you. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. We, we know God's promises and we recall them. We know God's promises. Kayla, could you go to that slide? Know God's promises and recall them. Because here's, here's what we can do. We can get caught in the trap of I know who I am and confess it, but if we're not careful, we'll just stay so focused on our sin and we will get to the place where I have to try to earn God's love and I've got to do, 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 do. And God's mad and God's disappointed and so I've got to really clench my fists and I've got to really grit my teeth and God, I'm gonna do better and God, I've really got to work. No, no, no. It's not a, it's not a, I've got to do better so that God loves me. It is because that Jesus came. Man, God is for me. God is with me. And God is so faithful and so merciful that when we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so then I pivot again. I know the problem, I face it, I pivot to this is who God is and he's bigger than me and he can do more than I can do and then I pivot to my own sin that brought chaos into my life and then I pivot to God, you are so faithful. And your promises are for me. There's never been a moment that you've not been faithful. There's never been a moment that you've abandoned me. There's never been a moment that I've had to live this life on my own. God, you have been faithful all through the Old Testament, faithful through it all. All through my life, faithful through it all. The psalmist said it this way, but you, O Lord, are, well, you're compassionate. Even in spite of me, I know me and I've confessed it, and you are so compassionate. And you are gracious, you're slow to anger, and you're abounding in love and faithfulness. Second Timothy says it this way, man, if we're faithless, and we are, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. It's just in his nature. Great news, 2024, God's not giving up on you. God's not left you to your own devices. Try as you might to shake away from God and try as you might to run as far away as you can for him. Try as you might to try to do your own thing and live your own life and trust in yourself. God has not given up 
on you and God won't give up on you because it's not in his nature. He is faithful. And so I pivot to, I know God's promises and I rely on them. God, you have been with me on my good days and on my worst days. You are faithful to forgive me when I repent. And so I'm just remembering your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness, your mercy towards me. I don't deserve it, but you give it anyway. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And so, Lord, I've I've got some brokenness, and I need to rebuild a life. I know the problem, and I face it. I know who God is, and I trust him. I know who I am, and I confess it. I know God's promises, and I rely on them. And here's the last one. I know my next step, and I do it. It's not very profound, but I just know my next step, and I do it. Verse number 11, and we'll be done for the day. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Then here it is. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah had a plan. He's going to figure out something, but he didn't start throwing up bricks. He didn't start by driving nails. He had a step to do before that. He, he needed to go talk to his boss and ask for some time off work. And again, that doesn't sound real spiritual. That doesn't sound real profound. Doesn't even sound that difficult. But that was Nehemiah's first step. Let me just fast forward. Let me give you the end of the story. Let me spoil the movie for you. Nehemiah is going to, in 52 days, help lead a group of people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it is going to be extraordinary. It's a wonderful story. You should read it for yourself. It's awesome. And so that's the end of the story. The end of the story is rejoicing and a party and these praises to God for his mercy. That's the end of the story. But before any of that could happen, Nehemiah had to go to his boss and say, could I get some time off work? I've got a job that I've got to go do, and I need to be away for a while. You have a next step. And your next step might not seem terribly profound. And it might not seem like, and we, especially at New Year's, right, we get to that place where we just want to swing for the fences. Like, man, I'm going to lose 100 pounds by Valentine's Day. Well, that's tough to do. And it's discouraging. I mean, maybe it's the right attitude, but would you consider walking around the block today? And I know we want the big swings and the big wins, but sometimes you gotta go ask your boss for time off work. Sometimes you gotta just, before you do anything else, before your marriage can get repaired, sometimes the first step is not this profound, we're gonna go to an all-inclusive resort and do all the things. I'm going to apologize And before we can crawl out of our $100,000 of debt, I've got to put some things on Facebook Marketplace for $5 a piece. Well, what good is $5 against $100? Well, not very much, but it's, it's a first step. And you can take a first step. You can't take your last step. Nehemiah, there's no way for Nehemiah to go from where he was to having a celebration of building the walls without first saying, hey, boss, can I get some time to be away for a while? I, I need to be gone. What's, what's your next step in your life? It's, it's different for all of us. And you've got some New Year's resolutions, and I want those for you, but can I, 
could you go just a little deeper? How's your heart? How's your spiritual life? How's your relationship with God? How's, and maybe you should lose some weight and maybe you should you know, watch less TV and spend less time on social media. I'm pro all of those things, but man, what's that, what's that one step that you need to take? Because God almost always, always, always involves his people in his miracles. I mean, the, 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 the story that we're getting ready to read is a story of a miraculous God partnering with finite people. That's the story. A miraculous, infinite God using the hands and the feet of just finite, regular people. There's this great story. You've heard it. Lazarus, you remember Lazarus, and he'd been dead in the grave for three days or however long it had been, and Jesus rolls up, and Jesus is getting ready to do the miraculous, what only he could do, and he says this weird line. I don't know if you've ever caught it or not. I mean, here you've got Jesus who's getting ready to raise a dead man from a man from the dead, and there's a stone in his way. And instead of doing what no question Jesus could have done, hey, stone, be pulverized into vapor. I mean, Jesus could have done that. He was getting ready to raise a dead man. Instead, he said to a few guys, hey, go move that stone. Now, why in the world did Jesus care about people moving a stone? Jesus didn't need people, but he uses people. He uses people that are broken. He uses people that are messed up. And those guys got to be a part of Jesus's miracle. It's just like, in parents, you've done this. It's just like you've taken your two-year-old or three-year-old or five-year-old or seven-year-old or whatever it is, and dads especially, you've done this. You've sat them on your lap, and they drove, right? And their hands were up on the steering wheel, and they couldn't even see the road in front of them. But here they were, and, and your hands are just down here, and your feet are on the gas pedal. But what does that little seven-year-old or five-year-old do when he gets home? Mom, I drove. Well, these guys in the Lazarus story, I think they went home to their wives and said, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to brag, but you know what I did today? I basically rose somebody from the dead. I mean, it was... I did that. God uses people. And I don't know what the broken areas of your life are, but I know God is not just going to snap his fingers and it be done. No, in his infinite, miraculous ability, he uses finite, broken people to accomplish what he wants to do. That could God wave his hand and all of your problems be solved forever? Yes. Does he want you to participate with him? Yes. And have you asked recently, God, what's your part that you want me to play in your redemption story in my life? We sing this song uh, a lot, and it's a great song, but it's, it's such a beautiful prayer for us to pray as we enter this year. Spirit, lead me. I know who God is, and I know the problem, and I know that I'm a sinner, and yet I know that your promise is for me. And so, Spirit, what's my next step? Spirit, would you lead me? I, my trust is struggling. I can't see the end from the beginning, and I don't know how it's all gonna work, but and would you just lead me where I can't even see how to trust you with? My trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters. I, my feet are doing the walking, but it's you that's holding me up. It's the miraculous, infinite God using broken, finite people, wherever you would 
called me. I don't know where God's calling you in 2024, but I know that he wants you to take a step, know the problem and face it, know who God is and trust him, know who you are and confess it, know the promises of God and rely on them, and know your next step and take it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are so merciful and so gracious and so kind and compassionate to us. There has never been a moment that you have left us to our own devices. There's never been a moment that you have not been faithful to us, even when we have went years of being faithless to you. That's Lord, I'm praying that as we enter into this new year, that you would ignite something in of us to say, I'm not gonna ignore the problem anymore. I'm not taking half measures. I'm not just gonna see it out of the corner of my eye and walk past it. I'm gonna know what that problem is and I'm gonna face it dead on. Before I get overwhelmed with it, I'm gonna know who you are, that you're God and you are sovereign and you are mighty and you are bigger than me and you're bigger than the problem. And Lord, we confess our part in it, that the reason part of our life is chaos is because we have not kept your commands. We have not obeyed. We've went our own way. We're so grateful that you're faithful and that you are gracious and you are kind and you are compassionate and you are slow to anger. And it's Lord for all of us, what's our next step? Spirit, lead us, help us to go where you're calling us to go. It's in your name that we pray, amen.